Lord in heaven, we thank you so much for this time we've had here at GYC. It's been a blessing. And we pray now as we uh, conclude this series on evangel living that your Holy Spirit will be here, that you will challenge us to uh, maybe be bolder, to be more intentional about our, our lifestyle of evangelism than we were before we came here. We invite your presence here. And we invite you into our hearts to make whatever adjustment you feel necessary so that we might reflect Jesus a little more. Pray this in his name. Amen. Um, I am Bob Falkenberg. I am assistant director for Share Him. And uh, this is a seminar entitled Evangel Living. And this is our last session. We have covered so much. And before we get into this last session, in order to bring you up to date, I am going to do five hours of seminar in five minutes. Can it be done? Because if not, what I'm going to talk about here might not make as much sense to you. So we've got a a few of you who have been here every time, and I'm sorry that I'm going to have to review here just a bit for the sake of of the others. Um, Evangel living, we have been talking about, is not, evangelism is not an event that happens here and there. It's not a cooking school. It's not just a, a uh, depression recovery. It's not just a campaign, even evangelistic campaign. Evangelism has to be much broader than that. Evangelism is an overall cycle. It's a journey we talked about of faith from bringing somebody from unbelief to belief. And God uses us to be a part of that process. We are his hands, his feet, to help people move along this interest from unbelief to belief. In order for us to be actively involved in that, though, we have to look at evangelism the same way. We cannot say, well, I'm going to do evangelism because such and such an evangelist is coming to our church and I'm going to support it. But then when we're done with that evangelistic meeting, we put our feet up and we say, that's it. I don't have to do evangelism anymore. We've looked in the scripture that, biblically speaking, all of us have been given the responsibility to have an active part in accomplishing the gospel commission, right? I mean, look at who was sitting there on top of of the mount before Jesus ascended. When he spoke that great commission, who was there? Who was he talking to? Was he talking to only seminary graduates? How about theology degree graduates? How about people who have finished a one-year course in evangelism? I mean, these people were what? Tax collectors, housewives, um, fishermen, right? Ex-terrorists. Okay, okay, maybe that's pushing it a little bit. But uh, the zealot, you know, uh, he, was, uh, uh, he would have been considered a terrorist by the Romans, All of these people were normal people like you and me. But Jesus looked to them and said, Now, listen, I'm leaving here, but I have been given all the authority on heaven and on earth. So having said that, I'm telling you, you guys need to go and preach this gospel to every kindred, tongue, and nation. All right. And then he finishes the gospel commission by saying, And by the way, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be with you even until the end of the age. In other words, all the way till this whole chapter of, of the universe history is completed and I come get you, 
I'm going to be with you. And he was talking to people like you and I. So when we look at evangelism, we can't just think of, well, I can't do that kind of evangelism. I can't do that kind of evangelism. The bottom line is that God is calling us all to be involved in evangelism. And the best way to do that is to have a culture of evangelism, which is called evangel living. We call it evangel living. It's not something we turn on and off. Every day that we're alive, we realize that we are God's ambassadors. We're his messengers. And we need to be involved in looking with godly eyes to say, well, what am I supposed to do today? Who am God going to bring into my, into my field of vision today to share my faith or to point them to Christ? Evangelism is a lifestyle. It should be a lifestyle for you and for me. And the best way that that takes place is in what context? In community. Evangelism is never a lone ranger kind of a deal. Okay? It's done in fellowship with other Christians. And so we've talked, we spent a whole session talking about how to form an outreach team in your church made up of other people who want to have a lifestyle of evangelism. And you keep each other accountable and you encourage each other and you develop an interest list of people that you all are praying for and that you're working towards and developing relationships with so that every six months you're going to have your own evangelistic meeting in Loma Linda or in Quebec or wherever you're from. You all have these meetings in your home. You could have it, we talked about it, Taco Bell. Did I not say Taco Bell? You could have an evangelistic meeting at Taco Bell. Now, if you're not Indian, I mean, if you're not into uh, Mexican food, you could have it anywhere else you want to. Denny's, okay? That's a very kind of a general place. It's all okay. But this ongoing cycle of evangelism. For those of you who have been here, what are those cycle? First step is sowing. Then what? Reaping and then retaining the harvest. Okay, that's a nutshell. We've gone into much more deal, detail, practical detail. But we want to conclude this by, by asking the question, how beautiful are your feet? Now you're saying, well, what in the world is this uh, uh, have to do with, with evangelism? Well, stick with me here. Now I just got to tell you a little bit about my feet. My feet are not very beautiful. In fact, uh, usually feet are not like the most beautiful part of a, of a human body, but I have really pathetic feet. I have a big space between my big toe and my next toe. And I used to tell in academy and college, sometimes I'd be in flip-flops and I'd be talking with people and I'd say, see, I was born with six toes, but they had, him, had my sixth toe amputated here. And they would be like, oh, really, man? And I'd say, yeah, you can still feel the stub. Get down there and feel it. And I'd have them feeling, oh. And i said, say, joking, joking, joking. It's not there. I mean, it's not a very good-looking foot. Uh, by the way, those of you who came in, there's handout right when you came in the door. Uh, it's the one right closest to the door. And, uh, the bottom line is feet are not necessarily that which you and I would think of as being beautiful, Okay. But the Bible tells us that we all need to have beautiful feet. Did you hear me? Not maybe if we want to, but we all need to have beautiful feet. Look what the Bible says here in Romans chapter 10, verse 13 to 15. It says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Folks, right there is, in a nutshell, the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what one's background is, no matter what one's challenges have been, If you call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved. Can you say amen? Amen. Isn't that great? I mean, that is what is good news about the good news right there. 
But then Paul asks a series of questions. He says, wait a minute. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's great. But how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? Makes sense, doesn't it? But there's even a more fundamental question. How shall they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? See, in order to believe in someone, you've got to hear about them first, right? And if you're going to actually call upon Him to be saved, you need to believe in Him first, then you need to hear about Him. But there's even a more fundamental. In order to hear something, you have to have what? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And then it goes on to say, And how shall they preach except they be sent? You see, that's what we're trying to do here in this today, is to try to send you out so that people can, can hear and then they can believe and then they can call upon the name of the Lord. You know, somehow we feel like maybe God will save people sometimes by osmosis or something. You know, if, if we can have a Christian living as a neighbor next to a non-Christian, that's good enough. They'll be saved because they're standing next to the Christian. No, no, no. And sometimes, please do not misunderstand me here, but we, especially in the last 30 years of our Adventist history, we have become more and more specialized to the point that we relegate evangelism to certain ministries or certain people. If we want to do evangelism, we're like, okay, well, let's call the conference and get a conference evangelist. Or let's call Amazing Facts and get an Amazing Facts evangelist. Don't misunderstand me. We need to have all these people preaching. Let them preach. But if you think there are enough evangelists in the world, professional, paid evangelists, to reach every city in Quebec and every city in North America and every city in the world, forget it. And then it's even worse than that. We feel like, okay, only people that are evangelists can do evangelism. Now, what has happened in the last 15 or 20 years, is we're like, well, praise the Lord, we've got TV and radio. They'll do it for us. They'll do it for us. So we give a donation to them so that they can proclaim it through the airwaves. Now, is that good? Who is? I'm not saying that's not good. That is wonderful. Let them, we should have 10 times more TV stations and everything. That is not my point. The point is what it does to us. We have a responsibility, okay? We have a responsibility to engage in a lifestyle of evangelism, to be used by God. And when we do that, Paul says, how, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Can you say amen? You know, I love this because it doesn't say here, as it is written, how beautiful are the ministers... Ordained pastors, evangelists. Is that what it says? No, it's talking about any of us who step out in faith and who share our faith. God is calling an army of youth. He's calling His body, His church, to be much bolder about evangelism than we've ever been before. And then it says, we will have what? Beautiful feet. So I ask you the question again, how beautiful are your feet? I mean, all of us here probably can honestly confess that they're not as beautiful as they should be. Amen? Or am I the only one that feels I'm not as active as I should be? You see what I'm saying? All of us need to be bolder. Every Christian should have beautiful feet. In fact, 
let's go a step further and say, there is no such thing as a non-witnessing Christian. That's an oxymoron. It's a contradiction of terms. It's like saying, January in Minnesota is hot. Okay? That's not true. It's cold, right? Same thing. And we have beautiful feet as Christians because... We are carrying beautiful messages. We are bringing tidings of good news. We're bringing tidings of peace and joy. We're bringing light into darkness. But how often are we content to carry the light in a bushel, like the, like the song says, right? And we say, well, we are the salt of the earth, but we all love to congregate in the salt shaker. And we're not out with, with the food, Every Christian should be willing to share their experience with Christ. And you know why? Because that's why we're called Christians. That's why we're called Christians, because we talk about Christ. Hold on a second here. What's going on here? I want you to look with me at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. If you brought your Bibles, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Look at what it says here. Right at the beginning of what we could call the, Christ, the church era, the era of, the, of, the, of, of earth's history, where the church began to take this gospel that Christ had established and take this kingdom message which Christ had started and we were called to expand. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me where? In Jerusalem, and then where? In Judea, and then Samaria, and then what? To the ends of the earth. Okay, what, do you see these concentric circles? Starting out where they were living, going to Judea, which was around where they were living, then Samaria, which, by the way, that was a big leap for them. Samaria, what does Samaria have to do with the gospel? I mean, they're the bad guys. And then on to the ends of the earth. I want you to notice, what does he say we shall be? What does he say we shall be? He says that we, you will be what? Witnesses. Okay, sometimes we jump to the end of the verse and we say, hey, see, we've got to go here, we've got to go here, we've got to go here. But let's beginning, let's go back to the beginning. It says, you will be my witnesses. What is a witness? Somebody who has seen something, who gives a testimony about, or, or gives a evidence. What, is it, what are we witnesses of? When it says, you will be my witnesses, what are we witnesses of? Exactly. In other words, we are the ones who have seen, basically, into the eyes of Christ who has looked at us and says, and now God calls us our, our son, His Son. Because of Christ, we have gone from darkness into light. Because of Christ, we have purpose in life. We have meaning. We, our existence has a sense of hope. That is the good news, folks, in a nutshell. What is this good news? Like the song says, I once was lost, but now I'm what? I'm found, was blind, but now I see. 
Amazing grace, you know. That is what we're witnesses of. The good news is that in Christ, like Romans 5 says, we are reconciled with God. Before we were not reconciled with God, but now we are reconciled with God. Why is it that we sometimes are not more excited to share this with others? You know, I have found that in many cases, um, we are so, oh, I don't misunderstand me, accustomed? Would that be a right word? We are numbed. We are so used to it. Jaded that we do not realize afresh the magnitude of this incredible love that God has shown us. We are excited to call up a friend and say, Oh, did you see the New England Patriots last night? Have you seen this? Have you seen that? We're excited to share those kind of things. But here we're talking about the life and death, eternal issues, and we are at times afraid to talk about it. Or we are, are don't even feel the need to. And I think that is, a, that is something we need to ask ourselves. How beautiful are our feet? In other words, how real is this gospel to you? I like the way this is summed up in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Which means, which means this, and this is the testimony that God has given us. This comes right afterwards. Eternal life, and this life is in His Son. First John chapter five, verse eleven to thirteen. Have you ever read this? First John chapter five, verses one to thirteen. Look at what it says. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. One of the reasons I think that we do not witness as much is because we have not come to grips with the incredible, awesome love of God towards us that we have been given eternal life and this life is in his son and then he goes on to say he who has the son has what has life and he who does not have the son what it's a or b any of you guys are students don't you like those tests where it's they give you a question and they say option a and then b and then c and then it says all of the above none of the above and then it says a and b c and d you know When it comes to salvation, it's simple. It's A or B. You have the Son, you have life. Amen? You don't have the Son, you don't have life. But if you have the Son, wouldn't you want to share it? I remember I was getting ready to go uh, with my family as missionaries to China. And a good friend, another pastor in my conference asked me, Bob, why are you leaving Orlando, Florida to go be a missionary to China? What's the deal? Why are you going? And I said to him, well, I just feel God calling me to go there. I mean, there are 1.2 billion Chinese that need to know Jesus. I mean, I, I want feel to go out there. And, and he, he challenged me. I know, but there's millions of people in this area that need to know Jesus. Why are you going? I said, well, I feel a calling. He says, well, that's a good answer. He says, but what about this? And he began to share with me some other reasons that I had not really thought about. One of the reasons that we are involved in any kind of witness is because... Jesus said to. It's not an option. It's a command. Go ye therefore. 
I mentioned this earlier in one of my sessions. I said, some people say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Does that mean that I don't need to worry about the, uh, the gospel commission? If I don't have the gift of evangelism, I don't need to worry about witnessing because that's not my gift. Exactly, exactly. I cannot imagine that, God, that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, meant to say in Romans and, uh, 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. And, and uh, Do you think that he was saying that if you don't have the gift of evangelism, don't worry about witnessing for your faith, just forget it? Do you think that if you have the gift of helps, you have the gift of minute, whatever spiritual gift you have, God is calling you to use it to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in using those gifts. And so he said to me, Bob, the first reason that we need to witness and that you need to go to China or you all need to witness wherever you're at is because God said to do it. There's not, it's not a matter for you to say, well, maybe I don't like it. Or I don't have time for it. The second reason is the golden rule. Can you unpack that for me? What is the golden rule? In other words... Turnabout is fair play. In other words, if you are doing to others like you would like them to do to you, how do, what does that have to do with evangelism? Exactly. If we have this hope, why would we want to keep it all to ourselves? Isn't that selfish? If we didn't have the hope, wouldn't we want it, somebody to share it with us? So, so there's a reason here that... Uh, that we, ha- if we are have the son, we need to go and then share this son with with other people. Because he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. Does not have life. It says it very clearly. Then it goes on to say, "These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you might what know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God." Folks. We know that we have eternal life, not because of our own merits, but because we have the Son who is our Savior. Do you realize how many people out there, if you ask them what's happening after they die, what's, what their future is like, they, they have no hope. I remember sitting in a taxi once in Taipei, Taiwan, and I often tried to begin conversation with these taxi drivers because, you know, I t- t- took my mind off of their driving. Because it was a very spiritual experience just to sit with them and driving like this. So I would talk to them, and I remember this guy had all these emulets, uh, these little icons and different things dealing with the Buddha's face hanging from his rearview mirror. And I said, so what are these things? Oh, this one helps me here to not have an accident. And I'm like, well, if you slow down, that would help you a lot more. And this one does this, and this one does this. And I said to him, well, what, is your, uh, what is your faith background? Oh, I'm a Buddhist. And I asked him, I said, so tell me, uh, you believe in, in, in a better life in the future, right? Yes, you believe in nirvana, which would be our equivalent to a heaven, although it's the total opposite of heaven. Nirvana is the absence of everything, whereas heaven is the presence of God, being in the presence of God. And I said to him, so do you believe when you die, you, you will then be in nirvana? Oh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I have no idea, I can't, I'm not sure. I don't know, I don't know. And in other words, here he was going through all these motions and he had no earthly idea if when he died in his mind, he would end up in nirvana or he'd end up as his, 
as his neighbor's dog. Honestly. And people need this kind of hope. Christians, we have eternal life. We have the knowledge right here of eternal life because we are in Christ and we continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Isn't that great? We walk at peace now with God and we walk at peace with God in the future. And this is the gospel that we are called to share with others. Eternal life is ours, not because we've bought our way there or we've somehow connected with with some mystical force. No, it's because of a gift of Jesus Christ through our Lord. But we cannot stop there. We must share this good news. Let me ask you a question. Is your eternal life dependent on you sharing the good news? Is your eternal life dependent on, or is there any connection with you witnessing to others and, and your eternal life? Faith without works is dead. In, but let's unpack that more. I, I agree with you completely, but why is it dead? It's almost a prophecy. Do you realize that? Because if you do not put your faith into practice, your faith will what? Do you follow me? Your faith will die. If you do not put your faith into practice, it will be dead if it's not dead already. And so there is a direct correlation. I want to just challenge you that if you don't have as beautiful a feet as you you need to have, you need to get involved in carrying the gospel of good news to other people because your future spiritual development is directly connected with that. We must share it. That's why Jesus calls us to be His witnesses, witnesses of His grace, witnesses of His salvation, because you know what? He knows that we need it. He knows that we need it. So how are your feet, folks? <laughs> how are your feet? Have you shared your faith? Have you led anyone to Christ? Maybe you say to yourself, well, I'm nervous. I'm anxious. I don't know what to say. I get all jumbled up. I don't know... Maybe you have some fear and maybe you lack some faith. Let me share with you a quotation I shared earlier a few uh, sessions ago, but I just really like it. She says, Christ is saying to us, O ye of little faith, our hearts must be worked by the Holy Spirit. We must believe that the Lord wants us to come to Him just as we are. Folks, don't be ashamed of the fact that maybe you're afraid or you're insecure about this. It's okay. Come to Jesus as you are. And let your hearts be worked by the Holy Spirit. She goes on to say, We must believe that the Lord wants us to come to Him just as we are, without any delay, and in faith call upon Him to work. The Lord desires, listen to this, He wants to manifest His power amongst His people. He wants to. But why doesn't He sometimes? Because we live in our own comfort zone most of the time, where we're in control of everything. So when we're in control, we can't give Him control. And it's when you step into the faith zone, when you step in outside of your comfort zone. And one of the best ways of doing that is sharing your faith. All of a sudden, you have no idea what's going to happen. You're out of your comfort zone. You're totally out of your comfort zone, and that's where you have to depend on Him. And then she goes on to say, where there is no one at work, there should be more than a thousand not ordained ministers, but rather, she says, there should be what? 
men and women of faith and prayer who can work for God. They're all connected. Faith and prayer alone are not good enough. This is a three-legged stool here. We need to have faith in God, which grows through the study of the Word of God. We need to pray to God, which means on our knees and as we're walking in a constant state of dependence upon God. But then we need to take those two and we need to put it into practice. In other words, into works. Do you lack faith to share with others? First, let me encourage you not to equate fear with your inability. Do you follow me? Just because you're nervous does not mean you are incapable of sharing your faith. You know, the first time I preached a sermon, I was taking a class in homiletics at Southern Adventist University, and I was so nervous for the 24 hours before I preached, I couldn't eat anything. My stomach was all in knots. I was scared to death. And I remember getting on my knees. I mean, I can remember this. It was in the evening, and I got on my knees by my bed, and I said, Lord, you're calling me. I feel you're calling me to be a pastor, and yet I am about ready to die here of fear. What am I going to do every week before I preach? I'm not going to be able to eat anything. I'm going to waste away, and I'm going to be dead within a year of being a pastor. I was afraid. I could not do it. But you know what? I stepped out in faith. Fears should only throw us into the arms of God. We cannot say, well, I'm anxious, I'm afraid, therefore I can't do it. That's not right. It should only bring you closer to depend more upon God. That's natural, folks. You're stepping out of your comfort zone and you're stepping into what I call the faith zone. So then how can we share our faith with others? We spend a lot of time talking about this, but I want to highlight it again. First, please do not force it. I'd like to recommend this. Do not force your faith. When you are living a life of evangel living, you should not go around with your Bible and be like going around with your Bible and just, I mean, obviously not literally whacking people on the head, but... Pushing yourself on other people. That is not the way to do it. So what I'm trying to say is, there's a little bit of relief there, isn't there? You don't have to force your way into religious conversations. Every time you meet somebody on the road, you don't need to say, Do you know Jesus? Or why are you going to church on Sunday? Or don't you know Jesus is coming back? I mean, that's just like, whoa, people put their walls up. And that is not, I don't think, a spirit-led Approach. So what I'm trying to say, I'm trying to demystify this for you. Don't force it. Just be open to God's leading. Don't go around trying to to find confrontation or trying to find some way of of bringing up, forcing a conversation about God. There are many, many times that I go through long plane rides or I visit with people and nothing comes up about God. Nothing. And it's not because I'm not willing, but I'm just trying to listen to God to see what he says. Uh, I'm trying to see if if the direction of the conversation goes in such a way that I will be ready to give an account of what I believe. Um, Second, so remember, first of all, don't force it. What did I say? Don't force it. So in other words, you don't have to be afraid of trying to start conversations. 
let the Lord intersect you with people He's already working with. The Holy Spirit's at work. By the way, folks, sometimes we give ourselves way too much credit. Do you realize that? We feel like we are the avenue, only avenue that this person in front of us here is going to be saved. Hello? Don't you think the Holy Spirit has been working on that person way before you ever met him? Do you agree with me? The Holy Spirit is working out there. What you're trying to do is cooperate with the Holy Spirit, not create or do the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Second, follow the counsel of Psalms 143. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. Now, what does this have to do with evangelism, personal evangelism? What do you think this has to do? Look at it again. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk, for I lift up my soul to you. What does this have to do with evangelism? Well, if you're like me, every day you have a journey that you take to classes, to the grocery store, to the bank, whatever, to the laundromat, whatever that is, you have a journey on the telephone with your friends, all kinds of conversations, all kinds of intersections, intersections between your life and the life of others. If you start your day with a prayer saying, Lord, please cause me to know the way in which I should walk today. In other words, Lord, I want you in the driver's seat. Show me. Guide me, vocalize to God that you are willing to be used wherever, whenever. It's okay. He will direct you. I just talked with a friend of mine this last Sabbath. He says, Bob, I've started praying this prayer, and it's scary. It's scary. It's scary because all of a sudden I'm seeing all these things that I never saw before, all these opportunities that I believe God has created for me to, to have a chance to share my faith. I like to call them divine appointments. God knows where you're going to be today, and He knows that this person here has been praying or has this need. He will make an appointment for the two of you to meet. Will you notice it? Will you be awake? Or will you be sleeping at the wheel? Most of the time, we are oblivious of it. We are like, just walking our, doing our thing. I know, why does that happen? I know, I, I've had that happen too. I'm like, oh, I should have. What do you do when that happens? Let me tell you, the first thing I do is I cannot beat myself up because the bottom line is I missed it. And I say, Lord, help me not to miss the next one. But guess what? In life, there are places you can make a U-turn legally. And if I realize that I've missed something, I will try to make a U-turn and go back and connect with that person again and, and, and follow the impression that God has given me that I missed before. Now, you can't go back. Remember the first thing I told you? You can't go back and force a situation, but you're willing to say, Lord, I'm here at this intersection again. I'm here. I'm standing here. I'm ready. And if he comes this way and, and, and you sh- impress me, I will then be there to, to, to say what you want me to say. Now, what kind of things are we talking about, folks? Are we talking about standing at an inter- a real intersection, handing out uh, papers that say, if you don't listen to me, you're going to get the mark of the beast? Is that what we're talking about? No, we're talking about standing in intersection in life. In other words, wherever you are, 
with friends at school or your neighbor or whatever, always being attentive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit to say, hey, this person is mentioning this about her, her mother who's sick in the hospital. Don't you think this would be a good idea for me to say, can I pray for your mom? What's her name? I'll be praying for her. Well, I appreciate that. Next time you see her, hey, listen, I've been praying for your mom. How is she doing? You know, I really believe prayer makes a difference. I have somebody who agrees with me. The bottom line is, you've got to be able to be open to God's impressions. But most of the time, you know, like uh, Elisha's servant. Remember Elisha's servant? Who was standing there at the, at the, in, in the city wall and scared to death because he couldn't see the army of God that was there to protect? And Elisha said, would you just please open his eyes? And uh, at the same time, what happened was, his eyes were open. Was that army there before or was it not there before? Are you sure? Was the army there before? It was? Do you think Elisha saw that army? How many of you think Elisha saw that army? Come on, don't be afraid. You think Elisha saw that army? Okay. I don't think he saw the army. But I think he knew by faith that there was a protection from God in that, around that, that city. But I think in faith, he just said, Lord, this man needs a little more evidence of your presence. Now, he might have seen it. I have not studied it in depth. But I believe the issue was faith. He was willing to say, Lord, I know you're here with me. And so when we go through life, we need to be asked praying this prayer. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. Number four, how do I share my faith or talk about spiritual things? Have you all heard of the, of the fort process, F-O-R-T? Great. The bottom line is, we, there are certain things that we can do to create an environment that will allow us to bring a conversation towards spiritual things. You four here, this is a review, okay? Uh, fort. First thing that we want to do, let me, since none of these were here, I'll share the experience with the lady on the, on the airplane. The bottom line is, the first thing you can talk about that everybody is willing to talk about is usually family, right? Or occupation is the next one. Family or occupation. So the first thing you would say is, oh, so where are you from? Uh, if they're a young person, you say, do you have any siblings? Uh, where do you, you live here? Did you live here all your life? Hey, people are, and guess what they do? It's always a game of ping pong or tennis, if you like tennis better. When you ask about family and they talk about their family, what are they going to ask you? Huh? Well, what about you? Oh, yeah, I Then the next thing is what? Occupation. If the people are a little older, I usually start with occupation. Okay? I don't ask, uh, if I'm sitting next to a lady, I'm not saying, well, are you married? You know, I don't go there. I say, so what do you do? Are you, if I'm on a plane, I say, what are you, you, are you from this city? Are you going to your back home? And, and we talk about occupation. I had this happen, uh, I've had it happen many times, but uh, interesting conversation I had just about a month or so ago on a flight from the States to Germany. This lady sat next to me. She was from Belgium, and we started talking. I, first of all, I introduced myself to her, and uh, she introduced herself to me. And usually, oftentimes, that's where it ends, right? 
But she started talking more and we talked about her occupation. She was in the paper business. Have you ever met people in the paper business? This is an international paper company. And, and then we talked about her family. And she came from a Roman Catholic mother and a Jewish father. And, and we just went on and on talking about family. Well, then what's the next thing we talked about? Well, it kind of happened naturally with me because after I asked her about her occupation, what do you think she asked me? Well, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm a pastor. And it was interesting to see because oftentimes when I say that, she's like, oh, very interesting, she said. Very interesting. And so she said, do you pastor a church? I said, no, I work with a ministry uh, that's called uh, Share Him. And, we, and I told her a little bit about it. She said, oh, that's very interesting. And then it was a perfect segue for me to go on to the next one. What do you think R stands for? Religion. Okay? See, you're talking about family, occupation, religion. So that's what I said to her. Well, well you know, you know, I'm a Christian. I said, well, what, are you a Christian? Well, she says, well, my father is this and my mother is that. And, uh, and she said, you know, to be honest with you, I don't need religion. She says, I don't need God. Wow. <laughs> I had nine hours ahead of me on this flight. And uh, I said to her, what? I said, you don't need God? You don't need... Well, tell me, unpack that. I don't understand. And she told me about how she was just so turned off by all the rituals of religion. She says, I went with my mother to, to, to the Catholic Church and it was all so ritualistic, you know, and do this and do that. And it was just no meaning. And, uh, and then the Jewish faith, da, 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 she said, I have no, no need for that. And she said, I have my family. I'm like, Wow supplanting God for family. And then I, of course, moved into the T. And what is a T? What is a T? Do you remember what the T? Testimony. T is a testimony. What do we mean by testimony? It doesn't mean pulling out seventh volume of the testimonies. Did you hear me? It means talking about what we just talked about earlier today, what experience have you had with Jesus? What difference has He made in your life? Well, I immediately, when she told me that she had no time for God and no time for, and didn't have any need for religion, I, of course, shared with her what Jesus meant to me. And that, that God actually is not wanting to, for you to practice rituals. He wants to have a friendship with you, a relationship with her. And she was just quiet. She said, it just, I think, was totally new to her that there was a God that wanted something other than this formalistic ritual. And I said, guess what? As far as I know, there are only two rituals in the Bible and they're, that we need to practice, and they're very, very special. One is, is the ordinance, I mean, the, the Lord's Supper, and I explained that to her. And I said, the other one's baptism, and I explained that, but that's it. All he's concerned about is, is a relationship with you. And so I gave her my testimony. And we just talked and talked. It was a wonderful experience. When I finished talking with her and I sensed that we were about done, what did I do? Did I say, man, that was a waste of time? Man, I wish I had been, been reading a book or my newspaper. No. Every time I share my faith and I get involved in this process, when it's done, I feel a hundred times closer to Jesus more in touch with my relationship with Him than I ever have before. Has that been your experience? Remember what I said at the beginning? We need to witness. 
for our own spiritual survival. And, and, and the sister here made a perfect point, and I hadn't really put those two texts together in James where it says, faith without works is dead. The bottom line is, if you do not put your faith into action by sharing your faith, your faith will be dead. It will be dead. And every time I have experienced and, and shared my faith, no matter if it's at Taco Bell talking to a guy next to me or if it's on the plane or whether I'm giving Bible studies or whether I'm preaching an evangelistic series, I feel like I am the one that's blessed the most. In fact, have you ever thought about this? Why didn't, knowing that his work was not done yet in terms of taking the gospel and sharing it with the whole world, why did he pick a church, 12 motley men, and a few others who were with him to take this gospel of the kingdom and preach it to every kindred tongue and nation. Why did he use us? Don't you think it would have been a little bit more cost effective and time effective for him to just dispatch a few legions of angels to do some heavenly billboards that say, you know, believe in Christ? And, and uh, wh- wh- why? I personally believe because he knew that it would help his church, it would help his disciples to stay close to him, to live in faith. Another thing you can use in talking and sharing a lifestyle of evangelism as you meet people is ask a simple question after you've gone through the fort. Instead of, instead of the religion question, and oftentimes many people get nervous about this religion question, well, what is your religion or whatever, you can ask a simple question. What is So tell me your story. You follow me? Tell me your story. What it means to say is, tell me the story of your life. And excuse me, but I have not met many people who don't like to talk about themselves. People will talk, yeah, my story, well, I was born here, I was... Blah, 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 blah. And after you finish that story, guess what they're going to ask you? Well, what's your story? And you can give your story with a very nice emphasis on the role and the importance of your friendship with Jesus Christ. Now, I want to go back to something I said earlier. Folks, you cannot, you cannot force these things. You cannot make it happen. Okay? You have got to be open to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. If you already have relationships with non-Adventists, if you already have relationships with ex-Adventists, say, Lord, today, as I meet with Sue, as I meet with Jim, or as I'm going through my day, please show me where you want me to give a verbal witness of my relationship with you. Be open to it, to those divine appointments. And remember, God is bigger than your inadequacies. I have had people say, well, what if I say the wrong thing? Okay, let's say you say the wrong thing. You bungle your words. You say something wrong. You walk away going, oh, man, I should have said this. What, 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 what are we t- Do you think that the Lord is going to allow this person to be lost forever because you didn't get your sentence structure right? Folks, remember, you are partnering with the Holy Spirit, and you're the junior partner. He is the senior partner. He is going to override. He can easily override. Your intentions are good. Do not be afraid of it. Folks, 
I've got to underline something because we have many here who have not been here earlier. The life of evangelism, the culture of evangelism that God is asking us to be a part of cannot or usually, 99.9% of the time, cannot be lived alone. You cannot go back and, and, and be the uh, Spider-Man of evangelism in your, in your, dist- in your district. You can't be a, the Lone Ranger. I just want to encourage you, young people, when you go back to your home church, connect with other people who want to live a lifestyle of evangelism. Form an outreach team and, and keep each other accountable to this process. Because if you go and you say, yes, I'm going to live a life of evangelism and you're all by yourself, well, guess what? You might do it after a week or two, or two weeks, but you'll get discouraged. You'll get, you might have people say, you know, I don't want to hear this. Or, or you might feel like it's overwhelmed and you have nowhere to go. I'm encouraging you, young people, to organize outreach teams in your, te- in your churches that can keep each other accountable. It's like I shared with other groups. It's like Weight Watchers, folks. Have you heard of Weight Watchers? Wait, why do Weight Watchers get together every week or every two weeks? Huh? To encourage each other on a, on a goal, right? And the goal is what? To weight loss and to maintain. Hey, people, there are people that get to their weight level and they still go to Weight Watchers. You know why? They want to maintain their weight. But why Weight Watchers? They are trying to help. This group is there to help them maintain a certain culture, a certain objective. Why is it that we believe that we can go out and do evangelism all on our own without anybody praying with us, without anybody supporting us? I just encourage you, when you go back, ask around to your friends, are you interested in living out a lifestyle of evangelism? Are you interested in evangel living really as a way of life? And then set out, get together, and write on a piece of paper the names of the people that you know who don't know Jesus, who maybe have slipped out of the church, or who have never been baptized. Write them down. And then proactively, intentionally, go out of your way to reach those people, pray for those people, connect with those people. And then after a while, hold an evangelistic meeting together with your team for these people that you're inviting to come. What I've been sharing with you today has to do more with, with personal evangelism as part of a lifestyle of evangelism. But I want to encourage you, you're not in this alone. That's why the church was organized. Okay, The church was organized to take this good news of Jesus Christ and share it with other people. And you can't do it alone. How are your feet today? Remember it says, how beautiful are the feet of them that bring tidings of good news? Every Christian should have beautiful feet. How are your feet? As you look back at your life in the last year, the last two years, have you led anybody to Christ? As you look back at life, have you shared anything spiritual with anybody else? Have you prayed for anybody? Do you have a prayer list of people who are lost that you are praying that God will show you a way to connect with them? How are your feet today? I'm not talking about your real feet, okay? I'm talking about your, the spiritual feet that, are, that God has commissioned you to use to carry this gospel to other people. 
If they are not carrying the good news to others, we need to get busy. Amen? We need to get busy. Ellen White has a beautiful vision of of, uh, the end of time. She shares that by painting a picture in the ninth volume of the Testimonies where she says she saw in vision by night people, his church, going door to door, visiting people, opening the Word of God, confessing their sins, praying for people. That is what the church will look like at the end of time. And folks, like I said earlier, it's not about setting up more TV towers, although that is very good. It's not about having more professional evangelists. God wants to use every single one of you as His hands, as His feet, to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I say again, how are your feet? You know, you come to GYC, you go to these great seminars, and they inspire you. But folks, I'm telling you, it is only icing on the cake, and it will soon be eaten away unless you act upon these things. You hear me, young people? You've got to put them into action. And I just want to encourage you to say, Yes, Lord, I believe in evangelism, but go beyond my belief. Let me put it into action. Let me be bold for you. Will you be disappointed at times? Okay, thank you. If you think there will not be disappointments, you got something coming to you. Will you have doors closed? Will you have friendships maybe come to a close at times? Yes. Will you maybe even have to give up your life? Of Yes, maybe. We don't know what's ahead, folks. But let me ask you, will we share our faith in times of persecution when we're not sharing our faith in times like now when we have total liberty? I don't think so. So I believe God is calling right now an army of youth to be serious, to be devoted, to be consecrated to a lifestyle of evangelism right now. Not tomorrow when it's more convenient or a year from now when I'm out of this job or I'm done with school. Right now. So I end this seminar asking again the question, how beautiful actually are your feet? And if you don't feel like they're as beautiful as they should be, get busy, folks. The Lord is there waiting to partner with you. I go back to the Great Gospel Commission. Have you ever read that? We always read, Go ye therefore into all the world. We always read that part. But the verse before and the verse after, what does it say? The verse before, Jesus says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go ye therefore. And then it ends by saying, And I will be with you always, even until the end of time. If Jesus just said, Go, and he said, Well, sorry, I don't really have much authority out there. And then he said, Well, I've got to go on vacation. I can't be with you, but I, all the best. That would be a very tragic thing. But what Jesus says is, Hey, listen, I've got the authority to accomplish this mission. You know what the mission is? Go ye therefore. And preach this good news of Jesus Christ to every kindred, tongue, and nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he finishes by saying, And lo, I'm going to be with you always. In good times and bad times, even until the end of the age. Which means until the last paragraph is written and the book is closed and you get to come home with me forever. So I just encourage you, young people, be bold. Be strong. Like uh, Joshua says, For the Lord thy God is with you. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we confess today that our feet have not been as beautiful as they could have been. 
because we have not been as bold and as full of faith as we should have been in taking this good news of Jesus Christ to others. And because of that, your kingdom has suffered. Because of that, Lord, our own faith has suffered. Please forgive us. Please forgive us, Lord. We're here at GYC. I don't think it's by accident. I believe you've called us here to refocus our attention on on the ministry and the commission that you have given us, especially, Lord, as your remnant church. Please use us. I pray that you'll be with these young people, that they will be blessed by your Holy Spirit, and that they will organize themselves into teams and companies to work in their communities for you. Maybe some here will will get on an airplane and travel to other parts of the world to open the scripture and preach the soon coming of Jesus. Please, Lord, go before them. Stand beside them. Encourage them. Give them boldness. And when people see them and they hear them, let them get this sense that they have been with Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse and Hope Media Ministry for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to listen to more great media like this presentation, or if you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. You can also find great witnessing media at audioverse.org and at hopevideo.com.